Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Elliot Hulse. Elliot is an internationally renowned strength and conditioning coach, a strongman, an author, a mentor, a holistic life coach, and a social media celebrity who has inspired millions of people through his YouTube channels. Elliot is the founder and CEO of Strength Camp and Grounding Camp and is the author of the book King, the four-layer approach to becoming the strongest version of yourself. Elliot, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Uh, I'm a strength coach, and I started training when I was very young. My uncle lived with us when I was a kid, and he was black belted northern Shaolin Kung Fu and a bodybuilder. He taught me and my brothers how to train in the basement when we were young, and when I went into high school, he came back and taught us how to lift with barbells. And I knew that that's what I was going to do for my life, for my living at that time, anyway. Uh, because I loved it so much. And so I earned a college scholarship playing football. I went to school to learn to be a strength conditioning coach. And then in 2005, I started my own company, Strength Camp, where I was training mostly athletes out of the back of my van in city parks. And uh, when 2006 came about, YouTube uh, was invented, and I started making YouTube videos. And between then and 2015, uh, my YouTube channels where I was teaching people how to lift, get stronger, but also answered questions about life, uh, skyrocketed up to over uh, two and a half million followers across both channels. So uh, I am a, I make men stronger physically and metaphysically. It's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. And I, I've seen your videos circulating for a very long time. And I want to come back to them because you really have become a male role model for a lot of men, especially a lot of men trying to figure out who they are or what they want, what it means to be a man, and who might not have had a lot of those models growing up. And so, like I said, I want to come back to this. I want to start by asking you a little bit about the models in your life, right? Who who have been some of the biggest mentors, inspiration, teachers in helping you become the man that you've become? Like I said, my uncle lived with us when I was a kid and he had a huge impact on me at an early age because uh, he would spend a lot of time with me and my brother and he was always doing backflips and chopping bricks with his hand. He was like a virtual superman living with us. So being a kid, I, I immediately looked up to him. He was always fun and energetic and uh, he left and came back. You know, he got married. He was very young. He got married and then uh, years later he came back when I was 14, so like 10 years later. And he had become a bodybuilder and a personal trainer. And he began teaching my brothers and I how to lift with barbells. And really, both of those instances uh, played very heavily in my character in my life. And uh, the, the, the other person that I would put right along there with him is my father, of course. So, you know, I had two father figures in my, in my life that way. You know, uncle is a little different than a dad because uncle's can kind of goof off with you a little bit where dad's or at least my dad was much more strict, but, uh, I'm very grateful for my father and his, uh, his sacrifice and his role in my life. What were some of the biggest things that you picked up from your father? 
there's a lot. Uh, and I, I think maybe more than anything is his sense of self integrity and self love. Uh, my dad's the kind of guy that doesn't take any bullshit from anyone. And, uh, and it's not like he's an angry man. He just trusts in himself and believes in himself. And uh, sometimes that's to the detriment of other people and their feelings. <laughs> so he's a realist. He tells the truth uh, regardless of, of what people, how they're going to take it. And sometimes that's gotten him into trouble. And a lot of people don't like him because of that. But one thing you know for sure is that you're getting the truth. You're getting, he's not going to sugarcoat anything. And uh, I tend to have picked that up unconsciously. I guess when I was a kid, they, they would always say, oh, Elliot's going to say it. No one's going to say it. Elliot's going to say it. And I kind of grew up that way, being that way. That's awesome. I mean, you you started with body stuff and you've moved into a lot of stuff about how to have a healthy mind and, and just be a healthy person. And I'm curious, can, can you talk a bit about how emotional pain and trauma manifests in our bodies? Oh, it doesn't take much to see how real that is. What's happening in the mind mirrors itself in the body. Uh, this is why we go to movies, you know, you're, 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 you're looking at a screen, but if, if you take into consideration the inner landscape, you're going on this emotional roller coaster. So people go to movies so that not so that things happen to them or that they're physically moved from without, they're getting images projected upon their mind that stimulate different hormones and, uh, and cause certain muscles to tighten up and tense up. You know, like if a scary moment is happening, the shoulders seem to shrug or the eyes open up wide. And these are all things that are happening to us all day long unconsciously. And when we were young and we were first adapting to our environment, um, we were all traumatized. It's not a matter of if you had good parents or not. Uh, we were traumatized in that we were, our, we were conditioned out of our, say, infantile grandiosity, <laughs> you know, our, our natural inclination to be grandiose as, as children, uh, and, and the world that our parents and, and teachers and so on uh, condition us into create, is, is, happens through trauma, through fear, you know, get away from there, don't do that, sit down or you're going to make mommy upset, or I'm not going to love you anymore. So all these things that happen consciously and unconsciously, uh, we responded to physically, just like the people watching the movie. So, you know, um, you, you do, dad comes home, say, for example, you know, you, you've got a real rough dad. Maybe he's an alcoholic, or maybe he's just an angry dude. And he comes home, and, uh, you know, whenever he comes home, the, 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 the tension in the house increases. There's some kind of uh, shift in the energy. And, and so... As a child, to protect yourself, you'll start breathing less deep. Shallow breathing is a response, uh, is a fear response. And it's the first response. It's where, it's where most of our emotion begins. You know, if you're elated, you breathe deeper and heavier and faster. If you're, if you're uh, afraid, you, you breathe shallow and, 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 uh, and not so deep. So those uh, early experiences that uh, that are psychological defenses, but also physical defenses. This was all discovered by the work of Wilhelm Reich, by the way, so I'm not making this up. This is heavily researched stuff in, in trauma release therapy nowadays. Um, PTSD is like a huge term in 
psychology. And then, you know, it, it turns out that everybody's got PTSD. But what they know about PTSD is that the trauma is not just in your head. The trauma is in your body. And so what they're doing to release, well, they're doing a lot of work with like uh, uh, veterans and stuff. The, the work that they're doing and where they're really making headway outside of the medical model where they drug them up is, uh, is, is through movement and through breathing and bioenergetics. So uh, that being understood and known scientifically now, it's not, it, it's not very uh, mysterious why our ancestors had practices like exorcisms where, you know, if someone's traumatized in their head, they're screwed up in their head, they would create practices by which the, you would literally purge the demons physically. You get, you got to get it out of your nervous system by ex, literally exercising it out, moving it out. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I did this body movement class and in the body movement class, I mean, it's really simple stuff, right? Like we'd start off every class where we'd like roll out our muscles with these balls and then we do these different um, sort of stretches. And and uh, I remember I had this partner and she was like leaning on the outside of her feet. And then the teacher was like, don't adjust anybody on your own. If you see something or you feel something's off, call me over. And she came over and she helped the girl roll her weight in so that she was on the center of her feet and her the muscles in her feet could expand and she immediately started crying and it turned out that she had had a car accident years ago and although her body had healed um she still had some of this trauma and just changing the the movement and and the tension of the muscles in her body brought all that up and i would tell you every single class people were crying and it, it amazed me because like i didn't people tell me this type of stuff i'm like oh it's too new age but as i've gotten older and i've experienced more of the world you find it. I find that's true. And I find even meditating, you can, like, I'll, I'll be, if something's coming up, I can feel it's in my shoulder or it's in my arm or it's in my leg. And as human beings, we suppress so much uh, to function. I, I think we're just like not conscious of it. And as you start to become conscious of it, it's amazing. So I think it's really cool the work that you're doing. Um, what, what is some of the stuff that you've discovered? Like, how, how do you find that you carry some of your tensions in your body? How do you see some of these tensions carried or traumas carried in, in the people that you work with? Well, I was in four years of bioenergetic analysis with a, with a, a doctor, Dr. Glazier, who was a student of Alexander Lowen. Alexander Lowen is the creator of bioenergetic analysis, and he was a student of, uh, of Wilhelm Reich. And Wilhelm Reich was a student of Sigmund Freud. And Freud had Freud had tons of wonderful students that went on to do great things in many different fields. But Reich is one that, I, in my opinion, his work had not been truly um, loved and understood because it had, every, it had too much to do with the body and sexuality. And during the time that he was alive, that was really taboo. Now, like PTSD is kind of like a new thing because we're, we're ready now to accept a lot of these ideas. But when Reich was speaking about it in the 60s, he was, he was put in jail, essentially, for a lot of his ideas. So in my therapy with Dr. Glazier, I discovered a lot about what one of the things Wilhelm Reich would describe as muscular armoring, and that there are, there are seven, generally, but they're all over the body, but seven general bands of muscular tension that arise uh, in, the, in the body as an attempt to defend 
oneself from the uh, from the environment. And so uh, you, you you could start down at the feet, but really to the top of the head. But the most uh, pro, the, the ones that most of the time you'd be working with are in the core of the body because the the core of the body, your entire core, your spine supports breathing. The core, your 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 we're a breathing mechanism from our perineum to the top of our head. We're a breathing mechanism. And so we begin uh, creating those those bands of tension at the pelvic floor. And so you've got the pelvic floor, you've got across the belly, you've got the solar plexus, the heart, the throat, the jaw, the, and the eyes. And I've found that there isn't a single band within my body that doesn't carry tension. <laughs> and that's usually the case with most people. I tend to carry, personally, I tend to carry uh, quite a bit in my solar plexus in my heart. Um, but I also know that, you know, there are times when I'm, hold, I'm holding it my pelvic floor. I also know that I've got a ton of muscular imbalances in my ocular segment because I'm nearsighted. Anybody who has, who has vision problems, uh, it's, it's, it's muscular armoring because your eyes are very much mechanical. The way we see uh, through our eyeballs has very much to do with the muscular system around our face and eyes. And so uh, bands of muscular tension show up there as well. And when I work with, when I'm working with people, when we're working with people in this way, it's all about breathing and opening up the, what, the respiratory pattern, the respiratory wave. People think breathing in terms of like just cellular respiration, but breathing is mechanical. And uh, one of the things that Reich discovered is that uh, that wave that is that, you know, if you think about the, the, the body, there's an extension of the spine and a flexion of the spine. And when we inhale, it extends. And then when we exhale, it flexes. It was very similar to the spontaneous movements in the body during orgasm. He linked a lot of this stuff to sex. So he called it the orgastic wave, There's this movement, this, orga this orgasmic movement that uh, for most people is, uh, is dysfunctional. And you know it by just asking them to breathe deeply. So uh, in order to restore the, uh, the orgastic wave or the respiratory wave, the mechanics of the breathing, uh, we just begin with a very simple breathing exercises that uh, that draw the breath down into your, I say breathe into your balls, down into your pelvic floor, which a lot of people simply cannot do. When you start to get people to breathe down into their balls, or breathe into their pelvic floor, like what are the type of things that that happen? What, are, what types of things come up? Oh, well, I'll tell you the first experience for me was intense intense laughter and joy and i when i say intense i mean like uncontrollable i didn't know what was going on the first time uh i was working with a practitioner that put me through some of these exercises and um i started laughing so hard that i was crying and i was getting cramps and i was apologizing to her like i don't know what's going on she assured me later on that it's okay this is a part of the process but when we can break up those bands of muscular tension and the breath emotion that has been sitting dormant in there that we've been holding back releases itself. Just like that girl that you said started crying that she, that was spontaneous. She didn't try to cry just like I didn't try to laugh. It was there all along and it just needed, uh, it just needed space to be released. 
And so that was, that's one experience. I, and, and that's usually with mo most people, you're wanting to start low down into the pelvic floor. Um, when I, years later, started working up into my solar plexus and heart, a lot of sobbing, a lot of, a lot of crying, spontaneous crying, just, you know, the type of crying that a baby will do. And when I work with people, the same thing. I've had, I've had people just, just through breathing have tears of joy, just like the, the look on their faces of pure pleasure. And oh, the tears, the tears come almost like as a response to the pleasure, like, oh, my God, this feels better than an orgasm. And, and, and it really does. Uh, and then, of course, there, there are those that, that, you know, will start crying immediately. Um, a lot of times these, these, more, these more soft emotions like crying come after the more uh, hard emotions like anger. So a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll work to provoke anger. Uh, so that it can come to the surface and be released, so that what's really hiding underneath the, the softness, the crying, can can come to the surface and be released. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine a lot of things that you're talking about um, because I had gone to a friend of, uh, with a friend of mine to a breath class in Santa Monica last time I was in California, and all we were doing literally for half an hour in this class was trying to breathe fully. And in the process, yeah, a lot of things came up, um, both for me and the people around me. And and I think that what you're saying is really interesting, especially about the emotional connection, right? Um, you said first anger comes up and then s some of these other emotions, softer, I think you described them as softer emotions come up. And I'm wondering if you could talk about why that's important because there's, there's, I think a lot of guys who are listening to this, and there's some girls listening to this, but they tend to be better about this stuff and and it's mostly men who are listening to this. Why is that important? Because so many men are taught to suppress their emotions. Well, it, it's good for men to have an objective view of our emotions and not be emotional like women. So I'm not calling for, you know, men becoming she-men, like, you know, <laughs> the, a lot of the New Agers. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they walk around with all their New Age uh, pomp, but they're like women. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about confronting trapped emotion. And by, by confronting these emotions, we, we purge ourselves of demons that are literally ruling us from our underworld. You know, if you keep getting into circumstances and you don't know why, you know, every time I get with a girlfriend, she cheats on me. Or every time I get a job, I get fired. Or I can't seem to get out of this money rut. Or uh, all of my friends, you know, whatever it is that, like, you see these recurring themes in your life. Form equals function, and your body is the form through which you're functioning in your life, and you're going to keep doing the same things over and over again because you've got these, these demons, literally, and physically and metaphysically, you know, psychologically, they're, they're there in the unconscious, but the body is the unconscious. The, the body is a part of the brain, and you're just going to keep repeating over and over again uh, without, without really noticing what you're doing until you can purge yourself of the anger or of the sadness that's there. Once you, can, once you can get it out in front and you can look at it and you can let go of it, you don't have to do, and see, personal development is weird because it's all about doing, you know? What do you need to do to, 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 to personally develop yourself? But you really don't need to do anything to get the shit out of the way. And when you get that emotion that's, that's trapped in there out of the way, you just begin blossoming on your own. It's just, you, you become yourself again. I think the way you said that's absolutely awesome. I know in my personal life, I've definitely, there's been periods of my life where like I was 
suppressing a lot of shit and it just manifested in different ways, whether it was like creating physical blocking or emotional blocking or like blocking myself from going after the things that I wanted, like all kinds of anxiety, just like carrying that fucking shit around. And like, and I agree with you, I'm not talking about, um, about guys becoming women. Like that's not what I'm advocating (laughs) at all. It's like, it's about like, there's another type of masculine emotional intelligence that is really important for, our society to have and and it's being aware of yourself yourself and being aware of others and i like the way that you said that as you remove this this crap out of the way like it, it might it might feel imaginary but when you move these this baggage out of the way you start connecting with other people whether it's guys or whether it's women i watch it all the time with our clients like guys are so stuck in their head they're dealing with trauma they're reacting to the past they're reacting to their own projections of the future that they're not connecting with people and they go out and we'll take them out to a bar we take them out to the single scene that they want to meet some girl and and they're reacting to their own shit and are just disconnected and they can't figure out what's going wrong. And it's just, it's the fucking emotional baggage. You know, they're not breathing. They're not connected. For sure. Yeah. And, and as you started talking about the breathing, I started thinking, yeah, like that's like, it's like that connection between consciousness and the body. Right. And you're just, you're just fucking present. And when you're present, everything in life becomes easier. When you're going through this exercise, right? Like some, for someone who's listening to this and they can't imagine, like I'm, I'm talking about this class that I, I went to in California and I'm talking about like uh, going through some of these workshops. There's guys who are listening to this and they've never been exposed to these ideas. They just know that their life really isn't working and, working and maybe they should be doing something and this podcast is that something. Uh, but how do they recognize that they have this blockage and, and how do they, if it's for a guy who nev- doesn't know how to, breathe into his balls how does he learn how to do that it's one of these things where it's very difficult to to even explain to someone face-to-face one-on-one what's going on it's really experiential we're so used to quote-unquote learning um, through conversation and visual audio things of that nature but there is learning that can't be told and it must be experienced in the same way that you were there with the young lady and she began crying, and that's the first time you knew something. You, I could, you could have read all of Alexander Lowen's books and talked to as many experts as possible, but until you personally experience it, but being in the room with someone who goes through that spontaneous release, there's no denying. You, just, you see the person open up, and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Um, you know it's real, you know, rather than there's no way to convince someone. But uh, that being said, I, I can't really tell you how to get to that point where you can release, but I can tell you how you know you're holding, and that is to pay very close attention to your body in any given moment. You know, so we're so unconscious of our body all day long that, you know, people who are tapping their toes or chewing their nails or grinding their teeth or squinting their eyes all day long or... Or just take notice of like your hands and your feet. Are you, are you for no reason, are you, you have your fists balled up? A lot of times, you know, when I was at a certain point, I knew I was doing it. I'm like, what the fuck? Why am I fist balled up? Like, I'm going to knock someone out. And it's because I'm on, I'm, I'm answering emails and I'm like, I'm, I'm tense. If you're not breathing, the first way to get in touch with whether or not you're breathing deeply or not is to, you've got to actually get reps under your belt of deep breathing. So, 
uh, I've made lots of videos about what I call open mouth breathing, open body breathing, which is the, which is really opens up the throat, opens up the inner tube, right down into your belly by keeping your mouth and throat wide open while you breathe, while you fool your belly with air. If you can't do that right away, you know that you've got a you've got a nervous system problem. It's 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 a mecha- it's, our our mechanics are guided by our nervous system's uh, software. And if you can't breathe, just make your belly big. A lot of guys can't do this. Mostly women can't do it because we live in a culture where women are sucking their bellies in. But a lot of guys, you know, it's the same thing. That you know, we're, especially in fitness, you know, they want to keep a flat belly, and um, that's a part of the reason. But it's so much deeper. If you can't breathe in and make your belly expand, um, you've got a problem because that means that there's no feet. You're cut. You're completely cut off from your lower body. You're cut off from the from the spontaneous uh, movement of your pelvic floor, which is where orgasm comes from. You know, it's it's spontaneous convulsions. And so uh, if your sex life sucks, you know, you've got a lot of trapped emotion. If you're anxious, you've got a lot of trapped emotion. If you're depressed, you have a trapped emotion. Like I said before, if if, if you're nearsighted, farsighted, you've got ocular problems, you're, you're, you're pretty much traumatized if you're here as a human being. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all pretty fucked up, you know, especially in, in uh, Western, or I don't want to blame Western, but civilization, because it, to be civilized is to be suppressed. Dating coach Chris Lona here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, Listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And the other thing that happens as a course of life is just we just pick up traumas, right? Like maybe it's the reaction to some from somebody to something we said or did that was we weren't thinking about or were misguided or misunderstood. Maybe it's a death of somebody who's close to us. Maybe it is like a failure maybe it, it i mean maybe it's something that we have no control over right like maybe it's environmental but we just acquire traumas over the course of our life and and i think i don't think very many of us are very good at releasing them we don't even know i mean as a guy well, like we're for a long not even time, aware yeah we don't even know it's there so to release it to release it means you can confront it to, and that's two steps away the first step is to recognize that there's a problem <laughs> You know, you, you got to see that there, that there's an issue. And then once you recognize it's not good enough to be aware, it's a, you've got to confront it. And, to, and, and the only way to confront it is physically. You cannot confront emotion through thought. 
confront, confronting emotion is a very visceral experience. And it's hard to get place to confront those emotions because we have such habitual habits of breathing. Breath is life. And that's why, like, when you were working in that breathing class and that, the, 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 the girl was doing breathing, I'm sure that she was charging up because it's very difficult to get to that emotional place where there's a release by moving the body if there isn't some connection to the breath. So she, she or she may or may not be. Women are easier than us when it comes to releasing emotion. But uh, the breath has to be deep, open, full, and, uh, and not under the control of the ego. It, it's almost like the breathing has to be doing you instead of you doing the breathing. And I can't tell you how to get there. You need, you need support. You need a coach. You need someone there that, that knows what they're doing that can guide you to that spot so that when you do bump up against something, some resistance, they can push you right through it, and that's where you confront it. We're not even conscious of what we're confronting, but when the, when, when the breathing becomes, starts to, uh, when you're going through the exercise and the breathing starts to become shallow, or the person starts blacking out or blocking out or, or checking out, or there's all kinds of defense mechanisms, that's when, the, that's when you're confronting it. That's when it's there, and that's when you really need a really good practitioner there to guide you through that dark spot that you're trying to disappear from. You talked a little bit about ego. Um, can you explain a little bit in more, a little bit more depth what the connection is to ego? Cause I think a lot of people are like, I have a healthy ego. <laughs> I have a big ego. Well, you like, may. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you can, there's, there's, you, yes, the ego is not the enemy. And I'm not a fan of, you know, these people who are all about get rid of the ego and the ego thing. If you don't have an ego, you don't live here. The ego is, the ego is, uh, is, our, is what we interface with our physical world with. I like to also say that the body is the ego. And you know this is true based on what we are talking about right now, how the body holds the trauma. The way I approach ego, though, uh, is, is less of a, it, it's more of a Jungian approach. And so Carl Jung, who is an, also another student of Sigmund Freud, I like to think of Jung and Reich as the yin and yang of, of Sigmund Freud or, or, or of Western psychology, where uh, Reich was very much in the body. For, uh, Jung was very much in the, the psyche. And what he, how he describes it, and you know, many neo-Jungians describe it, uh, as well as in religion, 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 old school religion understood this, understand this. Neo religion, new religion has, has thrown this away. Uh, and anybody who's thrown original religion away has thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But this is to have a healthy ego self axis, a relationship between the ego and like a Christian would say, and Christ. But you can, if you're from the neo perspective, neo Jungian perspective, it's your ego and the numinous, the undifferentiated, collective unconscious demons and angels sphere. And so when you look at it this way, the ego becomes your friend because if you are, if you are flooded with God energy, you'll crack up. You'll slip into psychosis you'll, because God is everything and you'll think that you're, you'll think that you're everything. And there are people who, who, who slip into these, uh, these fantasies of, of grandiosity that, um, that end up cracking up and a lot of time end up on drugs and, you know, depression and anxiety and things of this nature. 
but with but if you take a an objective a detached perspective and you detach the ego from the thoughts and from the emotion and you see the ego as a construct this is the way that neo young would describe it the ego is a construct the ego has to has to regulate the numinous energies, the God energy, the power that, that's, being, that's being drawn down into the human form, has to draw it down, but then it has to, like a transformer, it has to regulate and, uh, and differentiate and put forth an ego that is resourceful for the environment you find yourself in. This is, this is like when you're a kid, you are a particular type of person, and it's okay. You, you formed an ego, an infantile or a childlike ego. But then when you become a teenager, that ego, that person, that, that construct that you once were has to dissolve. It, it has to die. You literally die to yourself. And I'm watching it with my daughter. She's 14, and I'm like, wow, in one year, she went from one kid to a completely other, and she literally had a death and resurrection. And... Uh, we experience this multiple times in our lives as, as a cyclical biological thing. You know, you'll, you'll get something of this nature probably every 12 years, but it also uh, comes about as a, as a necessity for survival. So if you're one way today and then say tomorrow you get thrown into a, a internment camp, well, <laughs> you're going to, or prison, well, that you that was out in the world there, that ego was okay. You were getting along. You're doing well. It seemed to be it seemed to be a good ego for you. That ego needs to die. That ego is not going to survive in prison. And you literally have a death and resurrection. And this can happen often and always in our lives if we're if we're objective and aware. I think this is really awesome stuff. Um, it made me think of a few things. One, um, all your talk about sort of demons and and uh, it made, like made me think of just like these ideas in literature around the world, right? And I think oftentimes people take them literally, um, but if you think about them metaphorically or, but the idea that like, that people are cap capturing these archetypical stories, like these things that are part of the human experience. And um, you talked about dying and whether uh, somebody's Christian, they're thinking about like the death of Christ and resurrection, or they're reading about like the idea of the Phoenix, like dying and being reborn, or um, they're listening to like Eckhart Tolle talk about like the death of sort of like ego. And like, I, I, there's like, I mean, just like sort of interesting, like in rebirth, right? Um, so I think it's like, it's really cool. And, and because we see these things all around, all around us. I've had a couple younger guys I've been mentoring over the last few years. And like, I see them pick up these messages through like manga and through like comic books and through DC and Marvel. And, and, uh, but I also in school would, you see them in like uh, when I got to college, I wasn't exposed to stuff when I was younger, but when I got older, I see them in like classic literature. And so I think it's really cool that, you're bringing a lot of this stuff up. Um, you also talked a little bit about controlling or about thoughts. And I thought about the idea of controlling thoughts. Like I know when I was younger, I would try to control my thoughts. Right? I try to compartmentalize things. And I think what I realized as I got older was that, I mean, some element of that is important, but like there's also um, too much of that. I ended up like sort of separating my body from my mind and started um, like suppressing things and like that shit all bubbled up later on. And, and um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the idea of trying to control thoughts and trying to sort of compartmentalize things. 
you know, we don't really need to control it if we know exactly what it is. You know, it's all, it's just being able to see it for what it is, and then the control is inevitable. You know, being able to uh, uh, approach it from a from a resourceful perspective is 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 really what we're wanting. And you realize that your thoughts are dead. Thoughts are always dead. They, there's no life in thoughts because thoughts are composed of content that is either past that no longer exists. And we do know that even scientifically that nothing exists outside of the now. It's a figment of our imagination. And when, when we're bringing up old, uh, you know, when we're thinking things, we're using symbols and experiences from the past or we're, we're living in the future. We're trying to plan or pre-plan or prepare in the future. And that also, as crazy as it sounds, is really a figment of our imagination because we're not doing anything until we're doing it. And how many times, like I know I have wasted hundreds of hours trying to plan things in my life and business only to, to realize, oh, I was spinning my plates. It's stupid because that wasn't what, what the plan was. That wasn't where I was, that was not where I was supposed to go. Only hundreds? I I've done thousands, probably tens of thousands. I don't even know how many hours. It's crazy. But like, it's a really, it's a waste. yeah, it's just a massive breakthrough for me to learn to like not react to the past and, and projections of the future so you can just be in the now like that was just fucking profound for me mm-hmm. um I, yeah like, no thought comes from you it doesn't they, they come from if you to speak to a religious person they would say like that's satan that's and, and if you and if you give it that veneer call it satan you'll realize oh my god it, it in other cultures they would call it the trickster and like the trickster will come and trick the fuck out of you the trick the, the trickster knows your hot buttons it knows uh your your gifts that it will use against you you know it's like you're really clever he'll use your cleverness against you so that you'll trick yourself with your own gifts <laughs> i've done it done it myself you know I'm a, i think a lot i'm a thinking person and, and it, it's a gift in a way when i'm trying to uh like i'm when i'm working on something but then i could i end up finding myself tricking myself with my own trickster inner trickster so yeah, I recognize that every single thought, every single thought must be looked at and observed objectively and recognize that it doesn't come from you. And you can even ask yourself, where is this thought coming from? I have a couple of questions for you. I think you kind of touched on this already, but can you explain what bioenergetic grounding is? Well, it's everything that we're talking about right now. Uh, you know, to, to ground oneself is to be fully present in the moment. And bioenergetic component of it. This is where you know the meditation culture and New Age have kind of gotten some things wrong, where it's all about controlling your thoughts and and meditating and, and making everything feel uh, peace and and harmony. Well, that's not really the case because we eat shit, fuck, and bleed, and we have hu- we have human bodies, we have flesh. Uh, that's that's how we experience. That's our ego. That's how we experience our time here on this planet. And so the bioenergy part. It, it takes into account the fact that we do have emotions, we do have feelings, we do have a muscular system and a nervous system that responds to these less than tangible entities that uh, that invade our space. You know, a- angels and demons take they take over our bodies. You know this, like in a moment, you can say, for example, uh, you, you have a fight with your girlfriend, and now, like for days. You have low energy, you're depressed, you just can't bring yourself to doing anything you want to do. And you, you literally have been 
uh, invaded. You literally have been have been captured and hypnotized by a demon that that's dragging you down. And if if you're in that certain certain type of circumstance, you know that it's not truly you because if you say you're, it's been three days. And all of a sudden your girlfriend calls you and she, she realizes she was wrong or whatever. And she makes up with you and she wants to meet up with you, man, you're going to feel so energetic, so excited, so elated. Can't wait. You know, you're putting on your clothes and trying to get out as fast as you can. And like you, you're, you're flying. What happened? You went from having rocks in your socks to flying in a matter of, of moments. It, and if, if you look at it in this objective way, like we've done with mythology and religion, and Carl Jung has done this with the archetypes, you realize that you were possessed. You were demon-possessed. You, you opened yourself up to being taken down and manipulated by a demonic entity. You, that wasn't you. You're not a depressed person. There's no reason to be depressed, even if your girlfriend cheated on you or dumped you. But you opened yourself up to it, and you know that it's not you, because in a moment, like I said, if she calls you back, that that demon will scatter and you will be filled with another spirit. You talked a little bit about meditation. Do you, do you have a practice? And, and if so, how has it affected your life? And what is the practice? I've used many different forms of meditation. Um, and right now I'm, I'm back to using Holosync that I've used for many years. And this is just binaural beats. This is just balancing the hemisphere with technology. Um, and, th- and that's like the most, that's one end of the spectrum of meditation that I've used and continue to use. The, the, the far end of the other end of the spectrum would be like uh, active meditations and bioenergetics. And this is, this is where we're literally uh, like breathing and moving and shouting and, and, and releasing the demons so that we can be calm and, uh, and actually sink into a state of stillness rather than carrying the anxiety. Both are considered meditation, just that one is passive and one is active. What did you say? You said something beats at the beginning. Binaural beats. Frequencies. So you, you listen, do you listen on audio tracks then while you're, you're meditating? Is that what you're saying? Or is it, are you doing this while you're working out? Oh, no, I, I, I sit and listen. I just sit in the morning for an hour and I listen. How has that affected your day-to-day life? Or just meditation in general, but yeah, using frequencies because you've shifted back to it. it. They all do the same thing, no matter what meditation. There are many, many roads to to the same place. Really what we're looking for is that objective, one of my teachers would say, the, um, the observer's perch. When emotion comes a lot of times or thoughts come, they, we allow them to take control of us, uh, possess us. Like I said, uh, that's getting into a mood and it could be a good mood. Like a high elated mood is, is just as bad as a low depressed mood because as high as you go is as low as you, you're going to fall. So it's a matter of like the Buddhists would say, uh, the middle road. So when you, by meditating, you, you create space between yourself your, and your thoughts and emotions. And that, that self that's present when, you're being objective about thoughts and emotion. Uh, those are those are the demons. Those are the things that we want to see from the observer spurch, so that we're not ruled by them unconsciously. And so that's what meditation affords you. 
I know we're getting constrained on time. Any last sort of suggestions, tips, um, words of wisdom for the people who are listening to this? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, you guys, this is a craft of charisma and you guys are hoping to, I, I assume, you know, your, your whole thing is, is how to be your charismatic self and, uh, charisma is spontaneous. Charisma is not fabricated or formulated. Charisma, like I said before, is a matter of getting out of the way. When we can get the shit out of the way, your real self shines and then charisma just becomes a part of who you are. You know, and that's, that's that's really what we're aiming at for that spontaneous charisma that just happens to be who we are. I agree, Elliot. This has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Elliot, all the different things that he does. I'm going to post some links on the Craft Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for chatting with me. You got it, man. Thank you. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Charisma website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.